Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you, and I praise you for the gift of our lives, the gift of our faith. And Lord, I ask that you would grant us a hunger for your Holy Spirit, a deeper yearning for more of your Holy Spirit, um, a desire for a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, Holy Spirit, we um, long to know you and long to be available to, we, we, we want to be available every day to the promptings that you have for our lives. That's what we want, Holy Spirit. You are God. You are Lord. You are giver of life. And we yield to you. We yield to you, O Holy Spirit. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lots of talk these days about the Holy Spirit. Why? Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. We are in these days of novena. The first novena was the novena in the upper room of the 12 apostles, disciples, and mother of God. They're praying and waiting, vigiling, not knowing when and how long they would have to vigil for, but they knew they ought to vigil because Christ Jesus, when he ascended, said, stay, pray, and wait for the coming of the Spirit. So they weren't just hanging around. They weren't just like, well, he'll get here eventually. No, they were vigiling. They were vigilant. They were on the alert. And as God's providence designed it, the coming of the Spirit came on Pentecost Sunday. And you think about it, they did not know what would be unfolding. They didn't know what it would be like for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. They did not know what would happen to them as a result of Jesus fulfilling his promise, sending his Spirit. Little did they realize what would happen in their lives when they became full to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of the living God. Pentecost Sunday changed everything for those 12 apostles, for the disciples, and in some mysterious way, yes, for the Mother of God as well. And so Pentecost Sunday is considered the birthday of the church. And look at, look at what happened the Spirit comes. So without the Spirit being operative, without the, the church turning outward and proclaiming Jesus Christ, fulfilling its mission, that's where the church is church. Where do you see the church being the church? Well, it's at the point where it comes in contact with the world, bringing good news, proclaiming good news with fervor, with faith, with fire. And with signs and wonders, converting hearts, performing miracles, driving out devils, binding up and casting away darkness, setting people free. That's the church. That's the church. But what, if we took that as a template, if we took that as, a, uh, as an indicator of the church is the church at the point at which it is, outwardly facing, proclaiming Christ to the world with power, with courage, with boldness, where do we see the church today? Where do we see that kind of church today? And I'm not here to berate that point. I'm here to say, if we don't see more of the church being like that, if we're lacking in Pentecost Sunday Catholicism, if we're somehow missing out on that kind of fervor, boldness, that kind of proclamation that could not be stopped, would not be held back, then we might stop and ask, if we want to have more of that, and we do, how about, I would like to have more of that, and I do, then what can we discern would be the cause of such a great effect? And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be silly. I won't drag this on much longer, but it's having Pentecost happen to us. Ta-da! If the apostles and disciples and the mother of God, if there was this outward turning fervor, fire, missionary faith 
that occurred only because of Pentecost, then if we don't see much of that happening in the church today, then what the church needs is a new Pentecost, a fresh Pentecost. Not, okay, let me, let me, theologically, let me just kind of state it, not another Pentecost. Not another Pentecost, but how about a recovery of the Pentecost that once happened? Hmm. Now, now we're getting a little bit mysterious. How do we recover Pentecost? How do we repeat Pentecost? How do we get connected to Pentecost? Well, you know this is going someplace. I wouldn't have gone this far down the trail if I didn't have an answer. Well, better than me having an answer, it's the church that has an answer. And the church has the answer in the catechism of the Catholic Church. And so today we're going to explore what the catechism says and connect it to, well, I'm going to connect it to my own life as a confirmation, as an attestation, as a witness to a life changes and is changed or is changed and then continues to be changing when we yield to the Holy Spirit, when we have our lives be brought near to Pentecost. Okay, so um, it's not poetic. It's not um, metaphorical. No, it's, it's a real participation in an event. So you can participate. You, you, listening to me, you, can have a share in the reality of Pentecost. You can participate in Pentecost in your own personal way. Yes, you can. So says the church. Where does the church say this? Paragraph 1302. Paragraph 1302 says this. It is evident from its celebration that the effect of the sacrament of confirmation is the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit as once granted to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. One more time. It is evident from its celebration that the effect of the sacrament of confirmation is the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit as once granted to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Let me summarize that. You are invited to experience Pentecost in a personal way. No, in fact, if you have become a full member of the church through initiation, you've received the sacraments of baptism, Holy Eucharist, and confirmation. Confirmation is one of those sacraments that makes us a full member of the church. And think about it. How can I be a full member of the church if I don't look like Pentecost, if my life doesn't look like Pentecost, if somehow there can't be some lines of connection between my way of living and the living of the apostles and disciples in, uh, after Pentecost. And so how do we get connected to the event of Pentecost? How do we participate in the event of Pentecost? Well, at your confirmation. Your confirmation was your personal Pentecost. Confirmation is the personal Pentecost in the life of the Catholic Christian believer. And saying that, we, we, we could have one of three responses. One of three responses, I'm thinking. Right? The first response is the one that I would hope for. Yes! Yes, I know that. Yes, I, I, I experience that. Yes, I see that every time that I go to a confirmation. I think about what happened at Pentecost. I remember reading Acts chapter 2. They're in the upper room, and then flames that were tongues as of fire rested on the heads of everyone present. A mighty wind blew through the house, burst open the windows and doors, and out come these fervent, fired up, literally fired up apostles, 
preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit comes, fire falls, wind blows, and this these folks are moving. Yes, that is exactly how I remember my confirmation and the confirmations I've attended. So that's one answer. One answer is yes. The second answer is, huh? What are you talking about? <laughs> are you kidding me? I, um, I have never seen that. I don't see, I've never seen that. I've never seen anything at all that reminded me of Pentecost, the, the descent of the Holy Spirit, in any confirmation I've ever attended. Huh? What are you talking about? And when I think about my own confirmation and I think about the confirmations of those that I've attended, family members, friends, none of them seem to look at all anything like Pentecost. So nice theory, nice theory. Uh, you know, nice job explaining it like that, Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1302. But I'm not buying it because I've never frankly seen it. So that's the second answer. So the first answer is yes, I see it every time. The second answer is, huh? I've never seen that any time, ever. The third answer is, okay. What am I missing? I accept what the church teaches. I'm not willing to just dismiss it as wrong. Neither am I going to somehow rationalize my own experience and say, well, it did happen, um, kinda. I can see little bits. But the third answer is, is you know, I'm gonna take that catechism quote at its word. And I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, all right, when I was confirmed and the confirmations that I've attended, I've been at Pentecost. And so somehow there is a sharing in Pentecost by those who are confirmed. They, they somehow get connected to, get plugged into the reality of Pentecost. And that means the reality of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on their lives that will fire them up. And if that's your, in, 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 what, what category are you in? <laughs> I'm not sure there's anyone in category one. Yeah, every time I see it. That was in my life too and everybody else's. Yeah, um, I, I just don't think it's true um, from the standpoint of, um, at any particular confirmation, you shouldn't presume that everyone's in the state of grace and ready to be set on fire. But that that's a tangent on a tangent. Um, so the second answer again is probably this. Probably that's the second highest answer. And the third answer, which I hope is the is the highest percentage. It's okay. I accept it is true. I can't see how it's true. And let me f- ask more. Let me find out a little more fully. What does this actually mean? So with that in mind, we come back around to then the question, if I've experienced Pentecost and I don't see signs of the fact that I've experienced Pentecost because my life doesn't look a lot like the those who experience Pentecost, but somehow I've shared in it, well, what am I missing? What am I missing? And here is where St. Thomas Aquinas is helpful. And there's a concept in Aquinas called revivescence. You've heard me talk about this before on Sound Insight, but it's fitting. Uh, during the week of Novena to the Holy Spirit, to dig into this theology a little bit again, just to remind everyone, revivescence is this idea in Aquinas when he treats the sacraments, that there are some sacraments where there is a dramatic aspect associated with the grace given. And the dramatic aspect is at the moment of its conveying of grace, at the moment of its enactment, certain sacraments um, have a um, all or nothing approach, meaning this is your chance to draw upon God's life-giving grace or the moment's passing. And if the moment passes, you don't get 
another shot to receive that grace. And the most natural sacrament to apply that to is um, Holy Communion. You can see how going up, there's a dramatic encounter with Christ in Holy Communion. And if you're not in a state of grace, um, or you're not really paying attention, you're not going to get as much grace as was offered. And, and, it's, and the time's passed, and you missed out. Welcome back to Sunset. This is Tom Kern. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. We are just a few days away from the celebration of Pentecost Sunday and um, at the end of this Easter season. And so we want to mark the days well. We don't want to miss out on this moment of grace. We have those special days at the beginning of Easter season, we uh, before Easter season, the beginning, and now at the end of the Easter season. Special days. And these special days, it's all about preparing spiritually and well for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. And um, in order to, to do that well, um, I'm drawing attention to the fact that many of us are in that last category of, I want to know more, because if I've somehow participated in, in Pentecost, I, I want to figure out why I'm not experiencing a life that looks more like Pentecost. Well, Aquinas, in his, uh, in his wisdom, draws out this concept of revivescence, and I just mentioned the sacraments that have something at stake in the moment when they're conveyed, the grace is offered, and it's received or not, or not fully. Um, and, then, and then it's gone. And then you've got to wait to the next time to go to communion to have that, that place of special encounter that's Eucharistic. Okay, but confirmation is one of those sacraments that the grace can be given, and in being given, it can be received but in being received, it isn't having all of the effect, all of the impact that God intended when he gave the gift. And that's where the gift of confirmation applies. If confirmation is the sacrament of my personal Pentecost, confirmation is the sacrament of my personal Pentecost, and I didn't receive a personal Pentecost, it doesn't mean that I missed out on the communication of the grace, the sanctifying grace, and the gifts that the Holy Spirit intended for me in the sacrament. But what it means instead is that I simply have not yet fully um, allowed to have the effect that God intended when the Lord gave me that grace. Did you hear that? There are sacraments like confirmation where grace is given and having been given, it hasn't yet been fully received. And I used that example, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago when I talked about receiving a computer, and I got it. It's a really cool computer, but it's in my possession, but it's still wrapped in the box. And by the way, it's still wrapped in the box. And so the idea that um, I can, in fact, um, pray for an unfolding of the gift of Pentecost that was given to me in my confirmation is astounding. Have you ever heard that? Who talks about this? Who um, is exploring, like, how, how do we get that to happen? Uh, you know, sign me up for the class. <laughs> I want to be involved in any effort that would allow me to unwrap the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of a personal Pentecost that the Lord intended for me and I haven't been experiencing it. What do you mean? You mean it's locked up inside me? How do I unlock this? How do I allow this to come out? How do I allow a personal Pentecost to have, a, have its way with me? How do I do that? Well, great question. And the answer that God has given, in my humble opinion, the answer that God has given to this is the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Let me say that again. The Catholic Charismatic Renewal, that movement, it's a theological movement. It's something that uh, is associated with the discernment that the Holy Spirit has moved the church into this stream of renewal so that Catholics can experience a more intense, transformative, intentional experience of faith through the unleashing of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so in the parlance of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, drawing on our tradition, the focus is on what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Uh, was the question that I was asked. I was 19. Um, were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, 
I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. No, that's not true. That's a little allusion to Acts of the Apostles, where there were believers in Christ who hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit because of poor catechesis. Boy, it feels like we're in that kind of age right now. Poor catechesis around the Holy Spirit, for sure. And so this reality that the Holy Spirit is... um, the, the experience of Pentecost, the event of Pentecost is alive in me, and the gift and graces of the Holy Spirit can be released within me, and I can yield to the Holy Spirit in new and profound ways. I want in on that. So the Catholic Charismatic Renewal um, has its origins, believe it or not, when they talk about the origins of the renewal in its contemporary form, you know who they trace it back to? Pope Leo Thirteenth. Pope Leo XIII, who wrote the encyclical on the Holy Spirit, who gave some addresses on the Holy Spirit at his Wednesday audiences, all because of a little nun, who uh, Italian nun, who pressed him, um, saying that the Lord had um, um, communicated to her that she needed to tell the Pope, you need to uh, foster deeper devotion to the Holy Spirit. You need to invoke the aid of the Holy Spirit upon the church, and especially on the church in the 20th century. Uh, Saint, uh, um, sorry, Leo the Thirteenth. You, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure. I'm guessing you remember, is the Pope that was connected to the Saint Michael the Archangel prayer, where depending on the account you read, it was either during Mass or just after Mass. Um, uh, Leo the Thirteenth froze, and when he froze, it was as if he was listening in on a conversation. And when he came out of this sort of moment of ecstasy, this this moment of being frozen in place, um, in the midst of celebrating a mass, um, he quickly went and had someone write down the Saint Michael the Archangel prayer as he dictated it, and um, that was a prayer that. He dictated why. Well, because he and had this um, this moment of ecstasy in which he had um, overheard a conversation between the devil and Jesus, and the devil was saying to Jesus that the church is only faithful because um, you have protected her. All you have to do is take one little layer of protection off of the church, and many will fall away. Well, the uh, the the ideas that then um, the Lord said to the po- uh, said to the devil, I'll give you the twentieth century. I'll give you the twentieth century to wreak havoc on the church. But he said, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit. I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit upon the church. And so for that reason, there was this emphasis on pray the Saint Michael the Archangel prayer because. The church is under a time of demonic tyranny and terror, and we need to use spiritual combat, spiritual means to bind up and cast away the realm of the demonic. So the um, um, so uh, when that comes to um, our own life, when that comes to our lives of um, discerning and then taking action around how do I get a sense of deeper relief and release to the Holy Spirit, um, we go back to Leo the Thirteenth, who put the Saint Michael prayer in place, and then he ended up dedicating the entire century to uh, the new millennium, the, the entire century, in uh, to the um, uh, to the Holy Spirit. And so he sang the Veni Creator Spiritus, Come Holy Spirit, as the Church entered the year 1901. And the next day in Topeka, Kansas, uh, in a small church, some people experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit and began to manifest charismatic gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14, the speaking in tongues and other gifts. Um, And so there was this great revival that happened first in Topeka, Kansas, and then it made its way uh, to the West Coast down in L.A., Um, Uh, There was this uh, Azusa Street revival that happened. And again, these things were connected to um, charismatic giftings. Uh, These these giftings of the the charismatic gifts mentioned by St. Paul um, and being sought after and prayed for. Well, over the course of the 1900s, 
um, the, the 20th century, you have this growth of this movement around the world. And where the growth of the Pentecostal form of Christianity, this expectant faith in the Holy Spirit, praise and worship, gifts of the Spirit being sought after, being used, put into put into practice, that this was changing people's lives. But the root of this change was this prayer for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so Come into the 1960s, 1967, you have this famous retreat at the Ark and the Dove Retreat Center in, uh, in Duquesne, uh, no, just outside of uh, Pittsburgh. And, um, and there they were reading The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson, in which he talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit probably the best part of the book. And sure enough, as, as, he was, uh, as they were reading and reflecting on this, one after the other, they made their way to the chapel without, um, without making the conscious decision to do that, like, oh, let's all go meet in the chapel. They just all ended up there. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit um, fell, uh, meaning there was this manifestation of the Holy Spirit coming in power and it transformed their lives. And frankly, they, if you say who was there in that, uh, in that upper room, um, what you'll discover was a whole bunch of people that went on to be set on fire. They were on fire to spread the gospel, to proclaim Jesus, and to foster a greater sense of growth in the Holy Spirit, a growth in relationship to the Holy Spirit, a growth in the release of the gifts and graces of Pentecost in, um, in their lives. And so um, that is a, um, that's a quick synopsis, right? So now it's over 50 years, it's what, 55 years ago that um, that event happened um, uh, at that retreat. And you stop and look around and you say that the Catholic Charismatic Renewal is um, arguably the largest movement in the Catholic Church in the whole world. It has, I don't know, uh, several hundred million Catholics have been touched by the Catholic Charismatic Renewal around the world. Sadly, here in the United States, it has faded off quite a bit. Um, However, the really neat thing is is that there is a revival of um, praise and worship and at least an openness to the Spirit, for sure, among young people today. There is that resurgence that's happening. And I would say that is principally because of places like Steubenville, Ohio, with their youth conferences, um, their summer conferences, and um, the uh, uh, focus missionaries and their large gathering on a yearly basis. Um, There is um, at least praise and worship there. So there are some efforts to foster this sense of renewal in the church. But sadly, it's too little. It's just so little compared to the need. So little compared to the need. Wouldn't you want to have a life filled with God's power? Wouldn't you want to have um, a greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit at work in your life to move you day to day in accord with His will and His promise for your life? The answer is, I hope so. I mean, that's a little bit scary. It's a little bit daunting because I say that and it's like, well, what do you mean? What, well, how concretely is my life going to change? Your life doesn't seem like it's, it's um, radically different than the life I'm living um, from an outward standpoint. So how does this Pentecost fire show up in your life very specifically and concretely, Tom? Speak it out. Like, how did this happen? What difference has it made? And why is it such a passion for you to help foster this baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a really good set of questions. And let me see if I can dive in and and, um, get those answered for you pretty quickly here. So the first is, why? Okay, and so this is where I want to take you back to the seminary. And I want to take you back to um, one of the, within the first month of when I was there, um, a couple of very significant things happened. The first was, I met a seminarian who had this group of sisters praying for him and his vocation. And these just weren't any old sisters. These were sisters who had a particular charism, and their charism was suffering. Ouch. Can you imagine that? How's that for a charism? Their charism was to offer their own physical debilitation to the Lord, and all of the sufferings, all of the limitations, 
all of the challenges that they faced as a result of their limitations and to offer them up to the Lord. That was their, uh, that was their mission. And they were contemplatives. So they spent hours in prayer. But also in those circumstances wasn't you know just peaceful, comfortable contemplation. It was a suffering contemplation. Anyway, so I got to know Sister B. Sister B was one of these sisters, and she wrote me a letter. Um, she had heard about me, and she said she was going to be praying for me. And in particular, as I started off my time in the seminary, she was going to be praying for a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit would do two things. The Holy Spirit would make me fire, and not just make me fire, but make me like the burning bush. A burning bush. A burning bush is what? The burning bush was consumed but not destroyed. It was consumed but not destroyed by God's God's holy fire, God's holy presence as fire. And that was the first thing. And then the second thing was, she said, I want you to imagine that you are like a very dry sponge. And this dry sponge gets put put under the faucet of water. And all of a sudden now the sponge gets filled with water so much that it expands, but then it begins to uh, have water come out of the bottom since it can't take anymore. And she said, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit, the living water of God, will fill you until all the dryness becomes full of the Spirit to overflowing. I'm going to be praying for you that you become a sponge, fire and sponge. What a powerful letter to have a sister like that praying for me. Well, I didn't know how, just how powerful those prayers were, (laughs) but I'll tell you how I knew back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. All right, so uh, talking about the Holy Spirit and just introduce you to Sister B, this religious sister who um, suffered greatly, prayed for me, that I would become like the burning bush set on fire, I'd become a fire, and that I'd become a sponge to take in God's truth and the life-giving water of the Spirit. Well, like I said, I didn't realize just how powerful her prayers were until a couple of weeks later when it was a Wednesday night, Thursdays we had off in the seminary, and so I decided I was going to go to confession. And um, confession in the seminary involved not only having um, uh, priests on the faculty hear your confessions, but also outside priests would come. And I remember that on this particular uh, this particular day, there this occasion, they brought in a priest who needed help. He needed help because he was blind. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go to this priest. <laughs> you can go to the priest who is the uh, on the faculty that's going to vote whether or not you go on. <laughs> Or you can go to the priest who's blind. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the priest who's blind. So I went to the to that priest and went in, confessed my sins. And at the end of my confession, he said to me, uh, he didn't start talking to me about my sins. He said to me, um, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? No, 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 he didn't say believe. He said, do you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? And I thought, Oh my gosh, wow. I, I, you know, I came into the seminary all fired up about Jesus. I was on fire for Jesus. Personal relationship, I got it, Jesus. So I started talking about the relationship with the Holy Spirit, but really focused on Jesus. He cut me off. He said, no, 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 not, not Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And so then I started to think, okay, I am really not knowing where to go here, so I'll start making stuff up. <laughs> so I started talking about the Trinity, and he cut me off again. He said, no, not the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Do you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? He said, you do believe in the Holy Spirit, don't you? Said, yeah, 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 I do. He said, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit wants to have a personal relationship with you. And here, I want to give you two images of what will happen in your life as you grow in a more personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he said, the first is, he said, I want you to imagine a fire. And he said, the Holy Spirit wants to make you fire. And I just, you can imagine the look on my face. 
um, the priest would have had to have imagined because he couldn't see it because he was blind. But I was just staring at him like, did you intercept my mail? <laughs> and, and then he said, I've got one more image that I want to share with you about what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And he said, I want you to imagine uh, a faucet with running water. And then I want you to take, yes, you know what's coming next, a dry sponge and put it under that tap flowing with water. And you'll see that the sponge gets filled with water until water completely is absorbed by the sponge, so much so that it begins to have water pour out the other side. And I just was floored. He said, the Holy Spirit wants to make you a sponge. And he said, here's what I want you to do. Every day when you go to Holy Communion, you approach Jesus, you pray the Holy Spirit prayer. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you will renew the face of the earth. Pray that prayer and then pray for the Holy Spirit to make you a fire and a sponge. I did that for over 20 years. Every time I went to communion, I prayed for a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. I prayed that the Holy Spirit would make me fire and a sponge. And I got to tell you, it this devotion to, it's not just devotion to the Holy Spirit. That's not right. The idea that Pentecost fire, the idea that Pentecost power, the idea that the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the life of a believer, a follower of Christ, I cannot stress that enough. I cannot. Uh, I've done church work since 1989, and it does not take long. It really does not take long for me to discern whether someone has a relationship with the Holy Spirit, has a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, has a sense of expectant faith for um, the Holy Spirit to be alive and at work. And it is it's abundantly clear, really rather quickly. And um, when I am working with people, I remember when um, a fellow said this to me, a leader in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal who was working in church ministry, he said, it does not take long to figure out when you're working with somebody if they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because if they are, things go so much easier. Things are so much easier because he knew that when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's a new sense of, there's a new reality of God's transforming power that's at work in your life. And don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not saying, oh, you want to know what ideal Catholics look like? Go to the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Go to the local prayer group and you'll see these ideal Catholics. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying people who are serious about their faith and who are open to the baptism of the Holy Spirit will experience a tremendous advance, a tremendous surge in spiritual power in their lives. They just will. And so I'm, I'm pushing hard today for you in these days leading up to Pentecost Sunday to take heed of the words of St. Thomas Aquinas, that revivescence is a thing, that for too many Catholics, and maybe for you, when we were baptized, when we were confirmed, we did not experience the personal Pentecost in the way that the, that the Lord ideally intended. But the grace is there, the gifts are there, and we can pray and we can seek to have those gifts and graces released, yielded to. We can experience a deeper empowerment with the spirit of Pentecost. If you dare, if you dare, beg and pray for the release of the gift and grace of Pentecost. I beg you to do this. You will experience again a new surge of power. Now, it's not magic. It's not, oh, just give me the prayer to pray and it'll happen. One of the things that the Catholic Charismatic Renewal figured out is that if the baptism in the Holy Spirit is going to have its uh, most likely positive effect, it needs to be prepared for. And so you may remember something that was quite 
um, popular in the 80s and even into the 90s, and that was the um, Life in the Spirit Seminar. Actually, I should say 70s, 80s, and then it kind of faded out in the 90s. Not entirely, but it, it did just because the renewal was getting older in the 90s. Isn't that funny? I'm talking over 20 years ago. Um, but the concept was, here's nine weeks. And in the course of these nine weeks, you're going to end up praying for the uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit. I think probably around week seven, I think is when it happened. And so there would be these weeks of leading up to the time of prayer for the Holy Spirit. And so they talk about the love of the Father, talk about Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, talk about the role of the Holy Spirit, and and from there. So there was just a variety of talks that would then lead up to, okay, now we're going to pray with you for this baptism in the Holy Spirit. And with with all of that time in um, preparation, there was this sense of fostering a sense of expectant faith, fostering a sense of, I'm ready, um, I'm spiritually attuned, I'm clearing away the obstacles, I'm getting myself prepared, and I'm ready to receive. Come Holy Spirit, bring it on. Come Holy Spirit, fill me to overflowing. I want that like St. Philip Neri movement uh, moment. And um, and it, what would happen is you'd have just some trained folks who were in leadership, a bit more mature, having a bit more experience at this, they would then basically have folks come up and they would pray with them. They would pray with them for a deeper release of the Holy Spirit, a yielding to the gifts and graces already given at Pentecost, or already given at Confirmation, but not yet fully yielded to. So they weren't praying for a new thing. They were praying for an unleashing of something already given, but not yet fully yielded to. And so I, I say this to you because if you if you had any degree of confidence at all in what I'm saying, I'm giving you a path forward in your in your marriage. I'm giving you a path forward in your relationship with your kids. I'm giving you a path forward in your own battle against sin and your own desire to live a life that is more mission-minded, that is more fulfilling in accord with God's purpose for your life. It's when you experience Pentecost. It is. It's when you experience Pentecost. Why go around trying to live the life of faith that is a life born of Pentecost without experiencing that event in your own life. It makes no sense. And yet, for generations, it's what the majority of American Catholics have done. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So, preparing for your own, um, uh, your own prayer for a deeper release of the Holy Spirit. So um, when I talk about this idea of baptism in the Holy Spirit and praying for a deeper release of the Holy Spirit, it's not once and for all. It's not. There is definitely an event quality to it, but there's also the sense of it's a process that will continue to unfold, that there's more, that you can always be praying for a deeper baptism in the Holy Spirit, a deeper release of the gifts and graces of your confirmation. I do that without question. I'm doing that all the time, all the time. Like if not daily, weekly, for sure. Praying for a deeper release of the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, please. I want more. I want more of your power at work in my life. I want to yield to you more fully. I want to be more docile and available to you. I want to hear and sense within me those nudges, those uh, those tender uh, uh, those tender uh, pulls and um, uh, longings, the, those things that you want to move in me, and then just the way in which the Holy Spirit wants a personal relationship with you. I mean, just how amazing is that? You think about and get blown away at the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus, and I just was talking all about that yesterday. What about a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't that be amazing, a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? And yet that's what that priest, that blind priest, that's what Sister B, that's what they were talking about. It's not language that you hear every day, but it's definitely the reality of the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles, otherwise also known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, were all about them every day discerning what's the Holy Spirit doing what, uh, and what's the Holy Spirit wanting us to do. 
And so they would discern and obey. And you've heard me talk about that on Sound Insight lots of times. Okay, so if we're going to experience a deeper release of our confirmation, what are the kinds of graces that will be given to us? I've been focused on this idea that it's going to give us a share in the reality of Pentecost. But when the Holy Spirit comes alive in us in new ways, when we experience more power, what does the Catechism say is going to come from that with regards to our own life of faith? Well, paragraph 1303 gives us an answer. It says this, from this fact, from this fact, namely, that there's a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's our personal Pentecost. From this fact, confirmation brings an increase and deepening of baptismal grace. So all those gifts and graces you received in baptism, they're going to be increased and deepened in confirmation. This shows the integral link, the connection between baptism and confirmation. So much more I could say there today. Theologically, I'm not going to talk about it. I want to stay focused on these effects of confirmation. Well, the Catechism gives us five effects. I'm going to go through them quickly. The first one is this confirmation grace, it's already in you now. Remember now, when you hear these, it's in you. It roots us more deeply in the divine filiation. That means the divine sonship which makes us cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Daddy, Father. Do you want to have a more intimate, personal, profound, life-giving relationship with God the Father? So that you come to know God the Father as Abba, Father. Guess what? You'll never be able to have your heart's cry be a profound expression of Abba, Father, on your own strength. Even if you know Hebrew or Aramaic and you know how to pronounce it exactly correctly, even if you know the theology of it, it's not the same. It's not the same as the spirit of the living God within you, urging you to cry out, Abba, Father. It's the Holy Spirit that is going to open up to you the meaning of what it is to be a child of God. The next, and, there's so much to say there. Oh my goodness, how many of us struggle in our own relationships with our fathers? And it's the Holy Spirit who wants to bring healing to those relationships and to deepen our own authentic, profound understanding of God's own fatherhood in our lives. Next, it, it unites us more firmly to Christ. Do you want a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? This is the way. <laughs> this is the way through confirmation, through the unfolding of your confirmation, that grace. You want to have that deeper union with Christ in order to follow him more faithfully. Okay, next. It increases the gifts of the Holy Spirit in us. It increases the gifts of the Holy Spirit in us. So I mentioned the charismatic graces in passing, but there's also the sevenfold gifts the sevenfold gifts or graces are those wisdom, understanding, knowledge, right judgment, courage, piety, and fear of the Lord. That those gifts, they're increased in confirmation. It means they're already in us in baptism, and they're increased in confirmation. But to have them be operative in accord with God's will, that's the big challenge. The big challenge is that these gifts are operative, and that's what this prayer praying for a deeper release of the grace of confirmation will do for your life. The next thing is that it renders our bond with the church more perfect. And so I'm going to just pass over that one, except just to say that um, this idea of having a sense of filial devotion to the church, recognizing that what we do matters, it's not just that we're living our own lives, but that we do live as members of the church, super important. Um, if we are, are going to help foster renewal in the church. And then here's the next one. It gives us a special strength of the Holy Spirit to spread and defend the faith by word and action as true witnesses of Christ, to confess the name of Christ boldly and never to be ashamed of the gospel. Wow. Wow. Anybody think that's needed? <laughs> I don't want to be snarky or sarcastic, but I this is like the fundamental need of the church if we're going to be holy. 
if we're going to experience and minister in Pentecost grace, um, we need a special strength of the Holy Spirit. Aquinas calls that gratia ad pugnam. It's the grace to battle. It's the grace to battle. And that grace to battle is a grace that will give us courage to spread and defend the faith by word and action as true witnesses of Christ, to confess the name of Christ boldly and never be ashamed of the gospel. Okay, we need a huge dose of that in the face of gender ideology, in the face of false understandings of marriage, in the face of a denial of God, a... um, uh, attacks against the Catholic faith, um, and even rot from within the church. It's the Holy Spirit that is going to be the one who addresses this. It's only the Holy Spirit that can do this. But to think that we might ask ourselves, where is that grace? Why don't we see more of this in the church today? What, where is it? It's, it's already, it's in there. It's like that, uh, it's that spaghetti sauce. If you grew in Boston, there was a special, uh, there was a, I don't know, one of the popular uh, spaghetti sauces. And, and the Italian mom was kept tasting it. And she'd say, well, what about this? And then the, and the mom who was making it using the canned sauce would say, it's in there, it's in there. It's like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're in there. The special strength we're talking about, it's in there. But the problem is, is we've got to get it out here. It's no good in there. It has to get out here. And that's where praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, praying for a release of the gifts and graces already given in baptism and confirmation will change your life. It's not might change your life. It will change your life. This happened to me November 1st, 1984. Yep, see, I remember the day. November 1st, All Saints Day, 1984. After serving Mass as the cross-bearer, at Holy Cross Cathedral in Boston. I went out to a prayer meeting, young adults, and we had done preparation for this prayer of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And there was a priest and other uh, prayer group leader, and the two of them went and prayed over me and um, some of my friends and a couple of other seminarians uh, that were part of this young adult prayer group. And they prayed for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And... I experienced this deep release and empowerment with the Holy Spirit that night. And it was transformative. It was. It was just absolutely life-changing for me. And um, and, and that was what? That was literally what? Uh, 30, almost oh, 37 and a half years ago. And when I think about that, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to God for the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If Carrie was on, she'd tell you a similar story about the power that uh, the power of faith coming alive, the dynamism of faith moving in her life as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happened to her at a much younger age. It was around the same time as me, but it was she's like five years younger than me, and just again so grateful for that gift. So. In these days leading up to Pentecost, these days of Novena, these days of vigiling and prayerful waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit, please, please, please do not sit on the sidelines. A prayer for a deeper release of the gifts and graces you've already been given but haven't fully yielded to in your confirmation and in your baptism. Pray for a baptism in the Holy Spirit. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sign Insight.